Amen. Good morning, everybody. Amen. Good morning, everybody. There we go. That's better. Good to be here, here with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Wild moly week last week, wasn't it? Woo. We seen some miracles take place, though, didn't we, Ron? <laughs> Amen. Here we are on the, the cusp of Thanksgiving week. Busy week coming up here. We do have a, a service. Keith Watts' service will be here Wednesday. So uh, keep the Watts family in prayer. Ask for God's spirit for help and for comfort during this time. So that will be Wednesday that we'll have this, and along with other things going on throughout this week. But it is good to be with you here today. Good to get step out of the world and come into the sanctuary of God's presence with his people here this morning. It is a beautiful day that God has blessed us with. It's cold. I don't know how cold it was because my phone and the TV don't always match up. But I did say the TV did say that Kellyville was 15 this morning. I don't know that Kellyville is that much colder than everybody else, but I don't think that was quite right because my phone only showed 20 at the point in time, but it was cold. Was it 17? Well, maybe Kellyville does get that cold, Kathy. Is that in the sun or in the shade? Okay. Still dark. It is cold. That's all right. It's wintertime. It's supposed to be cold. That's how we kill those skeeters and ticks and things. That's what they tell us, but that ain't true. Them ticks don't die by freezing. They unthaw, and then they crawl right along about their way. It's a beautiful day that God has given us this morning. And we continue this morning, and we conclude this morning with the uh, series that we've been on from the Ephesians. And if you want to go ahead and turn to today's text, it'll be chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Stick your finger there and we'll get to reading that here in just a little bit. But as always, I'm thankful and blessed for the opportunity that God gives me to stand before you and share his word with you just a little bit this morning. Thankful for God's presence and his love and his grace. Thankful for his strength in trying times in this world that we live in. and Thankful for each and every one of you and your hearts to serve God and to serve his people. It is a, it is a rare thing to be a heart of a servant in this day and age. And and as we, we come into this time here where we finish up this part of Ephesians, uh, we're going to look at that today. You know, we've looked the past, the first two weeks we, through this series, we looked at, at our identity in Christ as individuals. You know, what, what we are as sons and daughters of God in Jesus. And last week we looked at collectively how we, we as a body, who and what we are in Christ as a collective body of believers. Now this week we're going to look at it a little bit differently as we look at how this should have an effect on us. You know, it's one thing to be in Christ individually and that's good stuff. You know, it fires us up and it makes us, you know, fired up about serving the Lord and we see who we are in Christ in God's eyes. It's another thing to look at it as we look at it collectively as the body of Christ. But these times like this and this message like this, this is one of those instances where God gets all off in your business this is stuff that really God works on and as Christians shouldn't we allow God off into our business on a regular basis doesn't the word tell us to, to search my heart oh God search my it doesn't say God would you search Jerry's heart for me 
It doesn't say, hey, God, Brenda needs a heart searching going on. It's search my heart, oh God. So we should allow God all off in our business on a regular basis. And this is one of those today where God's word gets all off in our business. Who we are in Christ. As I said before, I'm thankful for the opportunity God gives me. Thankful for the presentations that he gives me the opportunity. We had that Sunday unity service, Sunday night. And God gave me an opportunity to speak her. And it was, it was a blessed time. Wonderful time. I was blessed to be with the men and women of God there in, in unity. And I'm thankful for those opportunities. Thankful for y'all. Rinda, where's your other be than right here, right now? Come on, Rinda. It's Thanksgiving. There you go. Who is thankful hard? All right. All right. And Kara, who's got any better than we do? There you go. There you go. Our identity in Christ. As I said before, we're going to wrap this series up today. And we conclude our series in Ephesians this week. And we want to discover or rediscover our identity in Christ. You know, we want to know who, what, where, when, and how we are in Christ. We want all that. We want all of that. And today we're going to look through our text in uh, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And if you've got your Bibles, keep them open because we're going to kind of walk through the other verses in that chapter there as well as we go on in verses 25 through 32. We're going to look at how our identity in Christ needs to translate. Must translate and must transform our everyday lives. It should have an impact on how we carry ourselves, shouldn't it? It should have an impact on the way that we act, the way that we think, the things that we do. And this is what we're going to look at today, how that identity must transform our everyday lives. There are five points today that we're going to look at. Now, don't be frightened. I know it's usually just three, but we got five today. I'll be quick with them. But there are five points today that we're going to look at. This identity in Christ should impact us. Number one, we're going to look at our morality. Our morality. And point number two today, we're going to look at our, our moods. And point, <laughs> point number three, we're going to look at our money. And point number four today, we're going to look at our mouth. And lastly, but not leastly, we're going to look at our manners. Now, there were several centuries before Christ, Alexander the Great came out of Macedonia and Greece to conquer the Mediterranean world. Now, unbeknownst to Alexander, he didn't know it at the time, but God was using him to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. On one of his campaigns, Alexander received a message from one of his soldiers. And this soldier was one of those rowdy ones. Trey's not like that, I'm sure. Be glad to see him when he gets back. But this was one of them rowdy ones. One of his soldiers had been continually and seriously misbehaving. And thereby shedding a bad light on the character of all the Greek troops. And what made it even worse was this soldier's name was also Alexander. When the commander learned this, he sent word that he wanted to talk to this soldier. And so he wanted him to come up and talk to him in purpose. And when the young man arrived at the tent of Alexander the Great, the commander asked him, Son, what is your name? Soldier, what is your name? And the reply came back. He said, Alexander, sir. So the great conqueror thought for a minute. He turned around and he looked him straight in the eye and he said, Forcefully, soldier, either you better change your behavior or you better change your name. Now, I don't know which one he changed, but I know that this story has a lesson for all of us. When we call ourselves Christians, we identify with Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We identify with Jesus Christ. When we wear that cross around our neck or that Christian t-shirt, or we put that little fish sticker out there on our car, we're being a witness for him. We are being identified with the name of Jesus. Is our behavior compatible with that name? Because on the other side of that coin, Jesus is also identified by us. Is our behavior compatible with that great name? The last few weeks we've been exploring the New Testament book of Ephesians, which as I've said before uh, throughout it, it's all about our identity in Christ. It's all about our identity in Christ. Each chapter reveals something that, that, about who we are in Jesus. And last Sunday, remember we looked at it collectively, who we are as, not as individuals but as the church, as the body of Christ and, and we saw that Jesus is the head. That was point number one last week. Point number two, we are his hands. And point number three, love is the heart of the church. Jesus the head, we're the hands. Love is what ties that all back together. It's the heart of the church. Now, as we move our attention over the last half of chapter four of Ephesians, it reveals how our identity in Christ ought to affect our daily lives, how the word of God should get all off in our lives. So, if you're, go ahead and stand. We'll read chapter 4, verses 17. I've got a mistype here. 17 through 24. I've got 17 through 14. I said, wait a minute. That's not right. But remember, keep your Bibles open because we'll move throughout verses 25 through 32 throughout the message as well. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24 says, In the Lord's name I tell you this. Do not continue living like those who do not believe. They continually want to do all kinds of evil. But what you have learned in Christ was not like this. I know that you have heard about him and you are in him, so you were taught the truth that is in our Jesus. You were taught to leave your old self, to stop living the evil way you lived before. That old self became worse because people are fooled by the evil things that they do. But you were taught to be made new in your hearts, to become a new person, that new person is made to be like God, made to be truly good and holy. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, for our reading of it today. Lord, I pray that your presence, Lord, would surround us this time. I pray for your Holy Spirit, Father, to have its way, Lord, within this time and within your word and within your, your will in our hearts and our lives. I pray for your word today in our reading of it, Father. I pray that our understanding would be enlightened to it, Father. I pray that those words, Lord, would, would magnify in our hearts, Lord, as we, you hold that looking glass up to us today, Father. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to care. Lord, thank you that you love us enough, Lord, to want to mold us and make us and change us, Father, into who you designed us to be. Lord, may we see, Lord, your truth today. Lord, may we live your truth forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In Jesus, each of us is a new person. Amen? In Jesus, each of us is a new person. I didn't get a single amen. I amen? There we go. You guys better wake up out there. Each one of us is a new person. We have a new identity in Jesus. And just like Alexander the Great, he expected the soldier bearing his name to behave a certain way. Christ has expectations for us as well. Christ expects those who are in him and those who bear his name to live a certain way as well. Now, we don't do a very good job of that sometimes because we struggle with that. We're fleshly. Thank God for his grace. Praise God. 
We are made in the image of God. We are made to live holy lives. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds downright noble. But what does that look like? How can we apply that to everyday life? How can we, for that matter, can we instill these good godly principles from theory into practice? Well, Paul goes on to describe some ways that we can here, describe five areas, five points of life that that ought to be altered because of our identity in Christ. And we're going to look at those today. Point number one is that our morality. The first is our morality. Socially, I mean specifically, our moral integrity. Now Paul writes this in verse 25. He says, so you must stop telling lies. Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other in the same body. Chapter 4, verse 25. Truth. 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 Truth is an aspect of Christ's eternal nature. Remember when Jesus said this? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. So if we are in Christ, then our lives ought to be full of truth as well. Amen? Honesty and integrity play a vital role in Christian living. There was a young lady, she was on the beach in Florida soaking up the sun and enjoying the warm temperatures down there on a Florida beach when a little boy came running by in his swimming trunks. He was carrying a towel and he came up to her and asked her, Ma'am, do you believe in God? She was surprised by the question, but she replied, Why, yes, I do. Then he asked her this, he said, Do you go to church every Sunday? Again, her answer was yes. And then he asked this, Do you read your Bible and do you pray every day? By now, the woman was just as curious as a cat. She was very much curious, and and she wanted to know. And she said said this. She said, "Why, uh, why, yes, son, I do. And the lad sighed a big sigh of relief and said, Oh, good. Will you hold my quarter while I go in swimming? Now, this boy was in search of a trustworthy person. This little lad knew all the right questions to ask, but unfortunately, sometimes we aren't as honest as we should be. There's a story in Boston about a minister who noticed a group of boys standing around a small stray dog. So he walked up to the boys, trying to see what's going on there. He asked them, boys, what are you doing here? What are you doing with this dog? And one of them uh, chirped in and said, we're telling lies. He said, the one who tells the biggest whopper gets the dog. This shocked the minister. He replied, why? When I was your age, I never thought of telling a lie. The boys looked at one another, and finally one of them shrugged his shoulder and said, well, I guess the preacher wins the dog. They had that right, didn't they? According to polls in the USA today, Americans lie and are lied to much more than we realize. Citing statistics from the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the USA Today newspaper t- uh, said this. They, they said that 91% of the people surveyed admit that they lie routinely about matters that they consider insignificant. Now, the remaining 9% probably lied when they answered the question. Amen? We might lie out of convenience or we might lie out of laziness. We may lie to make ourselves look better. We sometimes lie to protect ourselves from embarrassment or disapproval from those around us or to avoid conflict or consequences. But whatever the reason, the Bible is very clear, God hates lying. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who tell the truth. 
You see, we live in a day and age, in a time when an internet lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth can get out of bed and lace up its boots. Which gives us all the more reason as men and women of God to be men and women of moral integrity. Our morality should be the first thing that ought to be affected by our identity in Christ. The second is this, our moods. And that's point number two for today, our moods. In the next verse, Paul continues when he says this in verse 26 through 27. He says, when you are angry, do not sin. And be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Verses 26 through 27. There's a story about a deacon with a terrible temper who was playing a round of golf with his pastor. And this is not a true story. <laughs> no, it's not. I already talked to Jack. I said, Jack, this is not a true story. It's not about you. Although he could stand some temper management on the golf course. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Jack? Thank you, Heather. There was a deacon with a terrible temper and he was playing around the golf with his pastor and after leaving three straight putts on the edge of the cup, the deacon exploded. I missed! He screamed, how could I miss? With that, he grabbed his putter and heaved it into the lake and he kicked the golf cart and he drove his fist into a nearby tree. Now the pastor was taken back. He was shocked. He said, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're a deacon in the church. You know what the Bible says about controlling your anger. I'm surprised God doesn't send a lightning bolt down here and burn you to a crisp like any good pastor would. Yeah. The deacon apologized and he heeded the warning of the pastor on the next few holes. And he managed to control his temper. However, on the final hole, on the last green, his putt failed him again when the last putt veered off to the right just in front of the hole and the deacon went crazy again. I missed, he screamed. How could I miss? He broke his club over his knee. He kicked up several clumps of dirt right there on the edge of the green and this time drove his fist into the golf cart. Suddenly, the sky grew dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The sky grew dark as an ominous cloud passed over and there was a clap of thunder and an awesome burst of lightning and the pastor was burnt to a crisp right there on the golf green. An eerie silence filled the golf course and all that could be heard was a quiet voice from heaven saying this I missed how could I miss which leads to this truth that many of us struggle with anger issues amen let me point this out right away anger itself isn't sinful in the Bible, there are 455 uses of the word anger in the Old Testament. 375 of those references refer to God's anger. And even in the New Testament, Jesus on occasion was angry. There was a point in time where he fashioned a whip. Before some of the greatest miracles, Scripture indicates he was filled with indignation. Getting angry isn't sinful. It is how we handle our anger that can be. So, it's important that we learn to tame our tempers. We learn to express our anger in healthy and respectful ways. But you'll notice that the Bible says this as well in verses 26 through 7, 27. Be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. In other words, don't let your anger 
fester. If any of you have ever got a splinter, you know what fester means. It gets off in there, and every step you take hurts. It, get all, it gets all painful. It gets all swole, and it leads to a whole lot more problem if you just let Mama take that needle and dig it out of there if you'd have told her about it. Don't let your anger fester. When we let anger go resolve, we give the devil a place to work in our hearts and a way to ruin our relationships. That's the second way our identity in Christ should be changed. And point number three that we'll look at today is our money. Now, you will not hear me very often preach on money, but you're going to hear this today. Third, our identity in Jesus ought to affect our money. Paul continues this. He says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in verse 28. Now, there are two main principles that Paul inserts into this verse. The first has to do with how we get our money. And the second has to do with what we do with that money once we got it. He tells us don't steal. Don't be lazy. Don't live off a handoff, handout. He said instead work hard for your money. Now, there are people who are always looking for the easy road to wealth. How many of you get those calls on your phone that you don't recognize the number? Or sometimes they do recognize the number. I'm almost certain that they hijack people's numbers. Real live numbers. They're looking to take advantage of you. They're looking for an easy way to make a living. They're looking to take your money. Some people are always looking for an easy road to wealth. They're like the man who approached God and asked him, God, you're eternal, right? The Lord said, yes. He said, so what's a million years like to you? And God said this, well, a million years is but a second. Wow, said the man. And then he got to thinking. He said, so what's a million dollars like to you, God? And the Lord replied, a million dollars is nothing more than a penny in heaven. And the man said, great, God, could I borrow a penny? And God looked at him and smiled a bit, and he said, all right, he said, in a second. God wants us to be honest, hardworking folk for the money that we earn. He also wants us to be generous with that money. In the Old Testament, God required everyone to give one-tenth or a tithe of their income to the temple, which was used to help the needy as well as put in plumbing and all those other things that they did back then. In the New Testament, God doesn't legalistically demand a tenth, but that's a good place to start. Rather, he tells us this in 2 Corinthians verse 9 through 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be generous, and he wants us to be joyful when we give, but we can't do that if we have a wrong-headed view of money. So, how we earn... And what we do with our money is the third way that we're identified in Christ. And I'd like to piggyback on that for just a second. How you spend that money does too. How many have been to the movies lately? How many of you are appalled by the language they use on TV here of late? How many of you are going, my gosh, I can't believe that, the, that this company would, would back that kind of stuff. You know how you stop those guys? Stop buying them. Stop paying for it. Stop watching it. Because I promise you this, as one who works, who retired from one of the largest companies in the world, money talks with them. Be careful what you put your money behind. If it is blatantly against God's principles, we got no business being there. If it is blatantly against 
those things and, and blatantly uses God's name frivolously or in vain, we got no business sitting through that. Turn that TV off, get up, get out of the movie. Get out of there. Be careful what you put your money into. Because I promise you this, as long as people keep putting money into it, they're going to keep doing it. So, how we earn and what we do with our money is the third way we can be identified in Christ. The fourth way is, point number four, our mouth. Each day, you and I speak thousands of words. Studies and statistics show this, that we speak an average of 16,000 words per day. Some folks more so than others are going to get an amen. Some of those words are carefully planned. Some are selected and, and others are spoken impulsively and some are spoken quietly. Others are spoken with more volume. Some of the words are spoken with a desire to help and encourage and some are with the motivation to hurt, to belittle, and to retaliate. However... Most of our words are spoken with little or any thought of how they will affect others. Ephesians goes on to say this. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them in verse 29. When we were growing up back in the day, we were taught limericks. This is a limerick we were taught. That sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But many of you remember that. How many of you remember that saying? Maybe being taught that in school. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you know that that is wrong? Because words do hurt, don't they? And sometimes they can leave a lasting effect. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. And it's the little things we say that hurt the most. Someone's, someone once wrote this. They said, a careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and steal. A cutting word may smite and kill. Now, in the book of James, he, James compares our tongue to a flame of fire and calls it a restless evil and a, and a deadly poison in James 3 and 8. And that's why it's important that we always think before we speak. We always filter that which comes through our head into our mouths. You hear those folks, you know, you hear some folks described, that person ain't got no filter, which means this, they don't think before they speak. They don't think anything about what they're saying. We got to have a filter in our lives to make sure that we think before we speak. So Stacy's got a little thing he's going to shoot up there for us to look at, one of those little acronyms, what they call up there. And, and it's one of those acronyms, before we say things, these, ask yourself these five simple questions. T, acronym T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? The acronym THINK, that's a filter we should run through our heads before these things come out of our mouth. And now I know that there are many more different forms of communication in this day and age that we live in. Here's another filter that we should use as children of God who are born again in Christ. Here's another filter that we should use. Would I post this? Would I tweet this? 
would I use whatever form of communication that I use, would I do this if Jesus were sitting beside me? You see, the thing that we forget sometimes is that person that we're belittling and that person that is getting that angry uh, Facebook post about, about them or whatever it is is made in the image of God too. Would I do that if Jesus were sitting beside me? If the answer is no, to one or more of those questions, we might just want to keep our mouth shut and take the high road. In Christ, we want our words to be encouraging. We want our words to be an encouragement to those who hear them. We want our communication, whatever form or fashion that we choose to use, to bring glory to God and lift up the name of Jesus. And that leads us to the fifth area and the last area of life that ought to be affected by our identity in Jesus, and that is our manners. Paul closes this chapter on identity with these words in verses 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Remember that Paul started off this section of Scripture saying that in Jesus we are um, a new creation, we are a new person, and this new person is made in the image of God. God loves us, amen? I want to profess that every day. God loves us. He is kind to us, amen? And through Jesus, God forgives us of all our faults and all our fractures and all our failures, amen? Since we are made in His image, then we must also be kind. We must also be tender-hearted. We must also be willing to forgive. When Jesus took our sins to the cross, we didn't deserve that forgiveness. Deserves got nothing to do with it, in the, in the words of William Money. We deserve death. But when Jesus took our sins to the cross, we didn't deserve forgiveness, but it was offered anyway. He willingly forgives you and me of our bitterness. He forgives us of our rage, our malice, and every other evil behavior. And he urges us to do the same. There's a story about a man who was setting out from Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London. He was a violinist named Fritz Kreisler. Chrysler, Kreisler. And he had an hour before his boat sailed, and he wandered into a music shop where the proprietor was there, and he asked if he could look at the violin that he was carrying, assuming that he'd walk in there, that he walked into his shop to sell it. He'd opened up the case, he had a good look at it, and then he disappeared for just a little bit and returned with two policemen, one of whom told the violinist, Sir, you are under arrest. What for? said Kreisler. He said, You have stolen Fritz Kreisler's violin. And the man looked at him and said, well, I am Fritz Kreisler. He said, you can't pull that on us. Don't you even try to come in here and say that stuff. Come along with us to the station. Now, his boat was about to sail before too long. And there was no time for a prolonged explanation. So, he, so Kreisler asked the officer for the chance to prove that he was who he claimed to be. And permission was granted. And the great virtuoso grabbed his violin and filled the room with such heart-moving music that the police officers immediately apologized for the confusion and sent him on his way. Just as the police could identify Fritz Kreisler by how he played, 
We ought to be identified by how we live. By our morality. By our moods. By our money, how we make it, how we spend it, where we put it. Our mouths, and lastly, our manners are all clues to that true identity in Christ that we are. Let me wrap this up. That was pretty fast for five points, wasn't it? But let me wrap this up. Alexander the Great commanded an unruly soldier who shared his name this. He said, change your behavior, sir, or change your name. And I wonder sometimes what Jesus might say to me. Some of the times the way I carry myself and some of the things that I say and some of the things that I do, I call myself a Christian. Is my behavior compatible with that name? Does the way that we live help identify who we are in Jesus? Because it's important. It's important. We are that in Christ. We carry that name. His name is attached to us, and that is a blessing. And it is also a great responsibility that we carry. Does the way that we live help identify who we are in Jesus? Because it's important that we know who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ individually, and that means you and me. Who we are in Christ as, as individuals. Who we are collectively, and that means us, amen, the church, the body of Christ. And it also means who we are actively out there. I will always be on my best behavior inside these walls because I know you guys are watching me. But once I, I go out there, that's where boots hit the ground. That's where rubber meets the road. That's where these things that we've talked about today are put into play. You are coming into one of the busiest, most strenuous, anxious times of the year in this next month or so, aren't you? Anybody going Black Friday shopping out there? They do still do that? Huh? You are, Joyce? Joe's going with you? Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! I, I start. Bless your heart. I didn't know if they still did that with all the online stuff, but there's still so much pressure and so much demand taking place out there. But that is where that hits the road out there, where the rubber meets the road is when we go out there because I'll always be my best behavior in here. I'll always do that. But it's out there where the real message is spread. You know, I can come in here and preach to you guys and talk to you and, and, and share God's Word with you a whole lot. And then, you know, you always think, well, that Johnny. He is one bright guy. He is so energetic. He is a downright handsome individual. But you know what? The greatest message that I preach. Let me let you in on that. The greatest message that you preach. And you preach. And you preach. Is preached out there. In your day to day walk. In your day to day life. In the way you treat others. God gets all off in our business sometimes, doesn't he? 
That's a good thing. Because when we took this journey to be followers of Christ, God set a purpose for us. He set a purpose for you. He set a purpose for me. He set a purpose for us. And he's going to get us to that point in time. Either by going, God, let's go get them, or dragging us, kicking and screaming, whatever it takes. Does the way we live help identify who we are in Jesus? What we say, what we do, what we watch, what we spend, and how we act. I hope it does. I hope it does, but if not, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to change your behavior. Let God mold us. Let God make us into the person He made us to be in Jesus. To live the life of Christ in this crooked and perverse world that we live in. And it is not an easy task. It is not an easy path you have been called on. It involves change. It involves courage. It, it, it involves those, but it still revolves around Christ. The author, the finisher of our faith. Thankfully he is willing. Thankfully he is able. And hallelujah, thankfully he is available. He is available. If we, when we close out this time in song in just a second, these girls have been up here singing, and this is a beautiful song that we are fixing to sing, folks. As we close out this time in song, if I can help you in any way of your life in Christ, please come talk to me. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? You're in the right place. This is the right time. This is the day of the Lord in your life. What are you waiting on? If you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to come forward and let us guide you and direct you into that, that life, that new life that God promises to us. As we stand and sing, we can pray, we can call on God to do His work in our lives. Because I know this for a fact. Our struggle is real, amen? Our struggle is real. You walked in here today with something on your heart, didn't you? You walked in here today with something on your heart. That struggle is real. But it doesn't stop there, praise God. Our Savior is real too. Our God is real as well. So as we close out this time in song, if you need prayer, come on up. You'll have some people come up here and pray for you. If you need, if you just can't get past the point of letting go of the back of that pew, and I know what it is, because I've, I've wore some grooves in this one over here for two or three years, then right where you're at, say, Jesus, please, help me. It's not hard. It's not that complicated. Father, help me. I can't help myself, but I know that you can. Let today be that day of a new life in Christ for you.